You're welcome to be seated. We, we welcome those of you that are our guests tonight. Thank you for being here. And uh, those of you that are watching uh, live stream on uh, theantioch.com, welcome. We're happy to have you. The pastor is in uh, New in uh, Alexandria, Louisiana at uh, Because of the Times. And I'm preaching tonight a little over... Uh, two weeks ago, I felt like I was supposed to preach tonight and Sunday night, and uh, I, I I begged and asked for permission. Would you please let this poor preacher preach? And 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 he allowed me to do that. <clears throat> Apparently, some of you believe that's what's necessary for me to get to preach. But others of you have confidence in my ability to hear from God and know that when I have something to say, I will preach when it's time to preach. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Uh, while we're seated, I'd like for everybody to be seated. Whoever's the uh, production engineer tonight, would you show up in that little door so I can see your face? Yeah, the doorway in the back of the sound booth. Whoever's the production engineer on the video tonight, please. Okay, Stephen, do me a favor. We're going to take a moment here, and I want a close-up shot of this entire audience, every section of it. Okay, and then come back to the door and let me know when you're, when you're done. Okay, thank you. I'm waiting on you. Praise God. Okay. Now, those of you that are not here tonight and that may be listening, you know who you are because you're listening and you're not here. So if you are in leadership sometime between now and midnight, you will be sending me an email to let me know that you heard this message. Because between the leadership that's in this building and the leadership that I get the email from, then I'll know who did not get this message and they will send me an email as soon. As they hear this message. Hallelujah. Brother you, you going to make sure that they get that message to send me the message. Don't send you the message. I want the email personally saying I was not in church, but I have listened to the entirety of the message. Okay. Praise God. Hallelujah. We're waiting a few minutes here while you get your face on video. Smile, this isn't candid camera. The camera's looking right at you. It's not hidden at all. <laughs> Hallelujah. Um, you'll understand why I'm going to this uh, um, extreme, if you want to call it that, uh, in a few moments. Uh, in fact, i tell you what. We don't have to have my face on a video camera while, um, while he is videoing. I'm going to read my scripture. And um, if you can't video the audience and put the scripture on the screen at the same time, keep videoing the audience. Otherwise, you can. I get several scriptures to read. And we'll do that. Luke chapter. Uh, excuse me. That's not the one I wanted. I want Matthew chapter eighteen and verse ten. That's where I'd like to start. Matthew chapter eighteen and verse ten. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. Oh, by the way, for those of you that are watching online and want to send me that email now, it's T-H-E, the bishop, T-H-E, B-I-S-H-O-P, the number seven, at AOL.com. If you send me an email to chat, you will not get a response. 
I don't, I'm not a chatter. Okay. I don't chat. I, I don't chat. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not, it's just me. I'm weird. I don't chat. So you want to just say, hello, how are you doing? I'm telling you right now, here's my answer to your email. I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you for asking. So I don't need to take my time to send a reply back for that. Okay. The parable in the lost of the lost sheep. Uh, Matthew 18, 10, take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven, their angels do always behold the face of my father, which is in heaven. For the son of man is come to save that which was lost. How think ye if a man have a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine and go into the mountains and seek that which is gone astray? And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth, rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. It's not the will of the Father that even one should perish. Then Luke chapter 15 and beginning with verse 1, Luke 15, 1 Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Let's kill the lamb and eat, so and rejoice over finding this sheep. No, it didn't say that, did it? That's the way it happens sometimes, though. Saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. And then finally, one more place. First Peter chapter two, and I'm going to read verse 25. First Peter chapter two, verse 25. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Hallelujah. You may be seated. I will, uh, uh, it's been a couple of weeks now. The Holy Ghost spoke this to me. And I'm asking you the question he gave me to ask. Shepherds, where are your sheep? Shepherds, where are your sheep? Now, I'm going to spend a little time here trying to refresh some thinking over our structure. Or possibly there's some people here that have never understood our structure. This church was started in the only way you could start one, and that's with a John the Baptist type preacher. A lone voice in the wilderness. The wilderness of Annapolis, Maryland. And through that one voice preaching, a a group of people began to get saved. But as John understood, that ministry must decrease. And a different ministry must increase. The problem is, of course, 
we get so emotionally attached, not spiritually, sorry. You can claim it's spiritual, but it's not. It's emotional. We get so emotionally attached to a ministry that when God might tries to make a change, we're not willing to make the change. Now, again, the Lord gave this to me two weeks ago. So in case you're sitting here thinking that you've got a target on your chest, you painted that target there. You and Jesus did. He gave me this. Okay. There are some of you in this room tonight that my wife and I will always emotionally be your pastor. Your emotional connection to us as your mother and father in the Lord is there and will always be there. And it's not wrong and nobody's telling you to break that. But in the last nine years especially there are people sitting here that are new to this church in the last nine years and i have never been your pastor and you do not have an emotional attachment to me at all you don't you may love me you may respect me you probably don't really know me and some folks will tell you that's probably because you were spared There's some folks emotionally attached to me because of their bitterness. That's their emotional attachment. All right. But some of you, some of you are brand new and you've only ever known either, uh, Pastor David Wright or those of you on su- Sunday morning here, Pastor Joel Wright or one of our other congregational pastors. That's the only pastor you've ever known. And that's the way it's supposed to work. Again, some of you emotionally My wife and I will always be your spiritual mom and dad. There's only one father, but I could be your dad. But spiritually, totally different connection. And there had to be a transition. I I, I don't want to make a a mountain out of a molehill here, but I believe in principle. The reason the number 100 was chosen is that it is very difficult for one single individual to have truly the kind of personal relationship with individuals that is necessary to be of help to that individual when that group gets over 100 people. In fact, what little I know of sheep farming and sheep raising or whatever, uh, when a flock would get to a certain level in size, the owner of the farm and of the total flock would divide the flock up among shepherds because it is the responsibility of a shepherd to know the physical condition and the well-being of every sheep every day. We're not talking about making personal decisions for them. I'm talking spiritually now instead of naturally. I'm talking about making personal decisions. not talking about running their lives. That's cultic. There are decisions that are your decisions that no, no individual has a right to tell you what that, that decision ought to be. And sometimes, of course, the preacher won't do that, so we have some wonderful saints that will help you out with that. 
They want to tell you what you ought to do and not do. You know what? If you want to buy a junkie car, that's your business. I'm not going to tell you what car to drive, where to live, what job to work, unless, of course, it's there are certain jobs I would tell you not to work. <laughs> and I would tell you not to work them, not because I'm trying to run your life, but because I have Bible to tell you not to do those things. Really. The church, no church, no preacher has a right to run your personal life. In fact, nobody in their right mind wants to do that. Nobody in their right mind wants to run your personal life. I got so, I got my hands full trying to let Jesus help me run this one. I don't, I don't want to take on yours. When I was young and very naive, there was a period of time where I, I thought I was doing the will of God, speaking what I believed was the will of God on people getting married. I quickly learned that when it goes wrong, it's never their fault. It's always your fault. And that's why probably for the last 20 plus years, if you come to me and say, is it the will of God for us to get married? My answer is, I don't know, and if I knew, I wouldn't tell you. Because the only grounds or basis under which I would tell somebody whether or not they should get married is if there is a biblical basis, for instance, be not unequally yoked with an unbeliever. I have a right to say that. You don't have to listen. I have an obligation to you to say that. But that's it. I don't have a right to tell you what color to marry or not marry. Woo, praise God. And anybody wants to get some scripture out saying what kind of color you're supposed to marry or not marry depending based on your color, uh, boy, they got a problem. Because don't forget something. Moses married an Ethiopian woman. And when Miriam, his sister, spoke against it, God smote her with leprosy. Hallelujah. Now, no, I won't get into that. But the bottom line is, <laughs> no church, no preacher has a right to run your personal life. We not only have the right, but we have the responsibility to tell you what the Word of God says as it applies to your personal life. If you and your husband or you and your wife decide you really don't like each other anymore and you'd like to get divorced... Uh, you're welcome to come here. You single or with your new mate, you're welcome to come here. You will not be used here. And nobody on this staff will marry you. Because we cannot participate with a marriage based on adultery. 
And if you divorce on grounds other than adultery, you have no right to divorce, and therefore you have no right to remarry. Now, will God forgive you all that? He's a great God. And you're welcome to come. We're glad to have you. But don't expect to be used. Now, we've had a few situations where down through many, many years, you know, the Lord has done a work in people's lives and he's found a place for them here. But you have to understand something. It isn't just your situation. Every decision made here sets a precedent. Because what we let you do, we have to let everybody do. What we do for one We have to do for everybody. But but we're buds. We're close. You have to let me buy with that. No, no, no. Oh no. No, that that doesn't it doesn't work like that. If your relationship with ministry has strings attached to it, be careful for the scissors. Praise God. So, the structure had to change because it's the will of God for every big church to be little. Because there's seven and a half billion people approximately in this world, most of whom don't know Jesus. And for those people to be reached and yet you to be cared for, A church has to have both components. The corporate side, as big as it may get, and we have some promises here about how big it's going to be. But there has to be the other side too, where you can be a part of a group and receive ministry in a much smaller size where you can know that someone knows you and you know that person and they can help you and they can be there for you. Now, when I say they can help you, you understand that any preacher that attempts to give you answers that God hasn't given him just because you're pressuring them to help you is doing you and them a disservice. Sometimes people don't want to pray. They want to come to the preacher for answers. Sometimes people don't want to pray through their problems. They just want to come talk to the preacher and have him take care of it so it doesn't cost them anything and they don't have to die out to themselves. That's the way it is a lot of times. And, and, and when I was, uh, a much younger minister and pastor, I, I, people would come and I'd pray and I'd give them the answers God gave me. Finally, one day, this sweet voice said to me, there's only one mediator between God and man and you're not him. And you are standing between me and my people because you're allowing them to not have to learn to pray. So it's a very, very fine line that every man of God has to learn to walk. And and I don't know that you ever walk it perfectly between knowing when to help and when to keep your mouth shut. Because you, you know, when I, again, when I was much younger, I thought I was supposed to help solve every problem people had till the Lord said, 
Do you know where that problem came from? I don't know. The devil? No, not unless you call me the devil. I sent that problem. They needed the problem. They needed the problem to, to need me. Because without the problem, they didn't need me. And I let the problem come their way to try to save them. Because they weren't going to be saved without the problem. So, you know, I, I realize that some of you may now be sitting under ministers that are younger than you. I was 25. I was a pastor. There was no bishop as backup. I was it. And there was a 72-year-old grandmother in our church that called me pastor. And I was 25. I don't want to hear this age stuff. I want you to listen to me really, 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 really carefully, Antioch. There's not a single person in this church in any kind of office without my knowledge. Not only my knowledge, with my approval. So if you got a problem with so and so, you really got a problem with me. Because honestly, the buck stops here. What's the difference between a bishop and a shepherd? Well, this is pretty simple. Shepherds take care of sheep. Bishops Primarily take care of shepherds. Don't you think your shepherd needs a shepherd? Well, don't you care about sheep? (laughs) More than life itself. I have given my whole life, seemingly, for this church. I'm not done yet. And will continue to do so. And I've said it many times, and some of you haven't heard me say it. The greatest act of Christianity you will ever see from Chester Wright is to sit on this platform with somebody else leading this service and preaching this pulpit. That is the greatest act of humility and submission that Chester Wright is capable of displaying in any scenario, place, form, or format. There was no pulpit here before I got here. I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about the place to preach and the people to preach to. There was no pulpit. So the pulpit that was mine for 35 years that I didn't have to share with anybody if I didn't want to. The Lord asked me to relinquish it. You say, well, it's your son. <laughs> uh, ask them how much of a benefit that is. Oh, you cut them slack. Mm, Sure I do. Just because you don't hear it. I've said it for years, and by the grace of God, I've tried to live it. 
When I drive up on this hill, I don't have any family. Now, Sister Wright's kept the books for a long time. She knows how much tithe you pay. I don't. Because when I look at you, I don't see dollar signs. I don't want to see dollar signs. I want to see a soul, uh, and I want to see somebody that needs to hear a word from God that's not corrupted by someone that sees dollar signs. Praise God. Now, I'm I'm getting there, but you know I started early, right? You know that. You know I started early. I didn't start early to finish early. You know that. If you've been here even a year or so, you know I did not start early to end early. Okay, so we got that settled. And this is Thursday night, which is supposed to be for teaching, and that's what I do. So, oh, wow, isn't that, this is awesome. So, all right. So, there's a biblical definition for the difference between a successful shepherd and a shepherd who's a failure. And it has absolutely nothing to do with how proficient you are in the pulpit. It's by how knowledgeable you are of where your sheep are. The Lord doesn't require, neither does he equip preachers to fix people's problems. Any problems we help you fix is only because the Lord gives us a word and his word does the fixing. There's only one that has all the answers and knows everything. And if he chooses not to share that, you know, I had special training in this. And there's a few others in the room that have the same training. We learn from induction day. That's the first day you show up at the academy. You don't ever say, I don't know. You also don't ever give an answer that's a snow job. There's one acceptable answer, and it's an acceptable answer. I'll find out, sir. If you don't know the answer, you don't make an excuse for not knowing, and you don't try to snow someone by telling them something that you don't know just to make them think you know it, which is an insult to them, of course. So it, there, is, there is so much of our expectations that are specifically colored by our past experience. Now, I'm, I'm about to mention a couple of names, and I want to say in advance that I'm not, not saying these names derogatorily, only by way of comparison, It's a free country, and I respect the right of people to believe and do what they want to do as long as it's not illegal. Okay? But some people were raised with the expectations that a pastor uh, 
was there at your, it's supposed to be there at your beck and call. I've got a good friend who pastored in this district for many, many, many years. His son is now the pastor of the church. And uh, he had a full-time job that left him with some, some hours available. He worked 24-hour shifts. And so he had, he'd have a day or two off. And so if somebody needed, uh, somebody was broke down on the side of the road, they would call him. He'd come change the tire. If uh, they needed to move, he'd come pack up their house, rent the truck, pack the truck, move the truck, unload the truck, unpack the stuff. And he did this for everybody. And he said to me one day, I have ruined this congregation. I said, why is that? I knew what he was going to say. Because I knew he did that years and years ago. I knew he was doing that. He said, because I've raised a whole church full of people who can't do anything for themselves. And he said, they don't want to help anybody. They don't want to be involved with anybody. They only come to church to get. They have no desire to give. I, out of kindness, I, I made no comment. What was there to say? He was absolutely right. And uh, that church is growing today, and you know why? Because in the transition between father and son, when the son got up and said, I know what my dad's been doing for the last 25, 30 years, I'm not doing that. If that's a problem, you need to know that right now. I love you. I'll do everything the Lord tells me to do to help you. But I'm not your servant. I'm not, I'm, I'm not here uh, to paint your house, to, to, to move you, to change your flat tires. If you, if you legitimately need help, you can count on me. I'll be there. But I'm not going to be your handyman. People would, people have, there, there's some people's uh, commodes would overflow. They wouldn't even try to clean up the mess. They wouldn't do anything. Just call him to come, come fix it. The preacher. Not because he was too good. That's not the point. It's the attitude about it. And, and of course, some could say, well, we pay you. You owe us. They weren't paying him. He had a full-time job. All the money that he could have and should have been taking... Because the people can't be blessed. God has ordained that they that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Why? So the people that are helping to support the ministry can be blessed because of their support. He thought that's what he was supposed to do. And there are, there are people, you know... <laughs> I've had people say to one of the staff members here, uh, you know, the bishop doesn't care. Really. The person sitting across from you at that table, what are they doing there? How'd they get there? Why are they there? Whose desire was it for them to be there? Who is the one that carries the responsibility and the burden of making sure they get paid? Who does that? Somebody that cares. Well, why aren't you sitting there? 
Well, I, I, I know it looks like there's more of me, but that's honestly, that's really not the truth. There's not more good of me. Maybe more of me, but it's not good. There's only, there's only 24 hours in a day, folks. And so when you got more people to take care of, there has to be more people participating in that care. See, some of, some of you, maybe you've never heard this. Some of you, maybe you heard you don't understand it. <clears throat> we, we, we teach here uh, in Exodus. Oh, come on now. 20? When Jethro, uh, when, when Moses was leading the people of Israel, and the scripture says his father-in-law Jethro, who was a prophet, showed up. And uh, Moses was sitting from daylight to dark, lines of people, and they would come, and but it was their turn, and he'd hear what they had to say, and he'd give them a word from God. And Jethro showed up and said, what is this thing that thou doest to the people? In Moses' mind, he was doing this for the people. But the prophet of God says, you're doing this to the people. Look it up, it's in there. It says that. Oh, well, I, I, I'm sitting here, and, and, and I'm, I'm hearing their causes and whatever. And, and Moses says, um, and Jethro says, no. You need to pick out men that are spiritual people, that love God. I'm, I'm paraphrasing now. And appoint them over this matter. Let them hear the normal stuff. And let them only bring the big stuff to you. That way you won't wear away. The people won't get exhausted standing here waiting their turn all day. Everybody will go to their their tent in peace and they'll prosper. What you're doing is killing you, killing them. Well, those leaders came from among the people. We call them care group leaders. Now, I'm not trying to be mean when I say this, but in order to be a care group leader, you got to care. And sometimes people get to care more about themselves than others, and so they don't want to be a care group leader anymore. Because it, it takes time. And you have to give up yourself to be a care group leader. But then when, when Moses, after seeing this happen with the people... Because the Lord said, choose you out from among the people. Make captains of ten, captains of fifties, captains of hundreds, captains of five hundred, captains of thousands, or I think it was five hundred. And, 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 and put these over the people. And, uh, and let them handle the normal stuff, and you, you, you handle the big stuff. When Moses saw this working, he realized that the spiritual responsibility he and Aaron was carrying was just backbreaking. So he asked God for some help. God gave him from among the elders, the scripture says in Numbers 11, from among the elders, the Lord gave him 70 elders. And they came before the tabernacle with Moses. And God took of the spirit that was on Moses and put it on the 70. So how many spirits of ministry were there? In Israel, one spirit of ministry. Notice, God didn't put take Moses' spirit. He took from the spirit that was upon Moses. 
It's not Chester Wright's spirit on this church. The spirit is God. But there can only be one spirit of ministry. So there is a single spirit of ministry. I was talking to an individual today, and we were talking about a situation, and and uh, they mentioned somebody that might could come in and help in an area where we had a lack of personnel, uh, qualified personnel. And, and I said, yeah, you know what? He, he probably could do really good here, but there's the problem with the spirit of ministry. Because that person's been under another spirit of ministry. and you You bring somebody in and put them just straight into active ministry, and they haven't had a chance to willingly choose to release the spirit of ministry they were under and take on this spirit of ministry becomes a problem. Now, notice something. We're not talking about whether another spirit of ministry is good or bad or better or worse. That's not the issue. Every church should only have one spirit of ministry. That's not it. When you transfer churches, if you don't want to end up being a troublemaker, even though you're a good person, a lot of good people have ended up being troublemakers when they switched churches because they weren't willing to release the spirit of ministry that was where they were and take on the spirit of ministry where they're going. And good people become troublemakers because they won't do that. It's not a question of whether whether this church is better or worse or the spirit of ministry here is greater or or less than some other place. That's not that. There is a spirit of ministry here. There's a spirit of ministry every other place. And when you change churches, if that's the case, you have to make that transition or you become a troublemaker eventually. Well, what, what caused a person to be a troublemaker? Well, you know, we, we didn't do it like that where we came, where I came from. That's not how we did it. Well, I got one nice thing to say to you for that. Why don't you go back to where they did it like that? Because if that's the way you want it to be, it's not going to be that way here. Can two churches be really different in function and operation? I don't mean doctrine, but in function and operation and still both be right? Yes. Because the spirit of ministry and the way that spirit of ministry functions in a particular location has a lot of variables to it. And those variables vary from church to church. And I've had people come to me and say, people that were saved here, come to me and say, I believe the Lord is sending me X, Y, Z. And I said, yeah, I got no problem with that. That's what the Lord wants. God bless you. Glad, glad uh, you were here, and hopefully uh, you could be used where you're going. But consider this. Are you prepared to release this spirit of ministry and take on that spirit of ministry with the faith there, the vision there, the promises that have been made there? That's got to become your vision, your faith, and your promises. But, but I believe what, well, if you believe it in Antioch, you need to stay in Antioch. Because if you take this there, you're going to cause trouble. 
You may not mean to cause trouble. But you're going to cause trouble. It's going to happen. Because after a while, something is going to happen. And you're not going to like the way it's done here. And, and it may just be to your wife or your husband or your very best friends. You know, we didn't do it like that where I came from. Well, that's the first seed. Nobody in our, nobody in their right mind would stand and claim that the way we do everything is perfectly right. And if you don't do it this way, you're wrong. No. But what we do claim is what's being done here is what God has spoken to us to do, how God has spoken for us to do it. And that's all we can be faithful to is what God is saying to us. I mean, there were seven churches in Asia in the book of Revelation. No, two of them were alike. Each one of the seven had different problems altogether. A couple of them were only commended with no condemnation. A couple of them were only condemned with no commendation. And the others had a mixture. And no two of them were exactly alike. And that's the beauty of a body. And not only is this a body within itself, from one perspective, it's also a part of a bigger body. Right. And so, I've said this before, but I'll say it again, because I'm trying to, trying to tie some loose ends up here that need to come together, because some real good people have forgotten some stuff, and some really good people have never heard it. And then you're wondering, what in the world's going on here? Why do they do what they do? Well, first of all, there seems to be a question around who's your pastor. I'm going to settle that tonight. From the top, here comes the answer. Wherever you go to church on Sunday morning, that is your pastor. I thought... Uh, senior pastor David Wright was my pastor. No. He is senior pastor of the body Antioch. He oversees the body. He leads the body on a day-to-day basis. He gives direction to the body. Correction to the body. Etc., etc., etc. For you personally... He is not your pastor. I'm the bishop. I am not your pastor. Your pastor is the where your Sunday morning service is. That's your pastor. Well, well, I, I don't know if that person is spiritual enough to be my pastor. I dare say there's probably not any place you could go where somebody's spiritual enough to be your pastor. I dare say if you were the pastor, you wouldn't have a very spiritual pastor either. Oh, praise God. Thank thank you for laughing because I'm not really trying to be mean. I'm just trying to make a point. Okay, thank you. And and, and, and so that, that's why I'm saying for some of you, you're sitting under people. Maybe they're younger than you are naturally or younger than you are spiritually. Or maybe they're less experienced than you are. Well, either you're out of the will of God going to that congregation 
or the Lord knows what he's doing. When, when we first came to town, there was just two of us. I was 24. My wife was 19. Uh, I was, when we first started getting some people, I was 25. She was 20. And, uh, the, the first couple we, we gained, uh, they were a Pentecostal couple from Missouri and my wife was working as a clerk in the Navy exchange, which is the military version of a department store. It's a little small place this time. And she met, this lady came up to her and said, are you Pentecostal? Yeah. She said, my husband's in the Marine Corps. We've been living out here a while. She was not backslidden. We don't count her as praying through, but she really did. And her husband was a backslidden Marine. And uh, uh, they were our very first couple. And they began, started coming faithfully immediately. And then there, this lady who was in her early 70s, her uh, son, I believe it was, lived in the area. And she moved in with him for a while to help out him. He started to come here. I'm 25 years old, this 70-year-old lady sitting there. She's been saved longer than I've been alive. And I'm her pastor. And she respected me as her pastor. She prayed for me as her pastor. Because you see, that's my, my, my point here. Are you complaining about your pastor more than you're praying for him? Because I think it's really very revealing that if you complain about someone, anyone, more than you pray for that person. But especially your pastor. If you're complaining about the person who's your pastor more than you're praying for them, there's a problem. Let me go a little bit farther with you. If you're really praying for your pastor, you won't be complaining about your pastor. We, we have some very faithful people, not only that are pastoring, but we have some very pe- faithful people that are participating in the oversight of pastors. And trust me, we trust the people that are your pastors. We're there for them. We give them guidance, help, assistance, and if necessary, correction. But we're there for them. We're there to support them. We have confidence in them. They are not alone. They're not out there alone. We're there to help. And after you've gone to them, if either they or you feel like you need someone more experienced or whatever, you have the right to appeal to see someone more senior than them. And so we have several senior uh, staff people here, all of whom they're available to you in that situation. And uh, in rare circumstances, I'm also available. Why? Because you're too important? No, because it is not fair and not respectful of the people that who, who have the responsibility over you to immediately bypass them just because you don't like what they said. If I was in their place and I was treated like that, I would not believe I was respected. And so while myself and uh, Senior Pastor Wright and others on this staff 
have the authority to go directly to any saint of God as God gives them a word. Let me tell you what we do our best to do. After we've talked to you, we talk to the pastor and tell him what happened. Why? Because we are a team. And we can't take care of all these people, not counting all the ones that God's going to give us, if we don't function as a team. And what I like about this is, when it was only me, and you didn't like what I said, you had no place to go. I don't like what you said. Well, I, I'm sorry. I don't have anybody for you to appeal to but Jesus. So, But in this situation, if you really don't like what's been said to you or you don't feel like you received help, you have the right and opportunity uh, to ask to uh, to see someone else. It's, there's plenty of opportunity for help. And we want to help. We want to do everything for you we can. We want to be responsible ministers and shepherds. We want to know what's going on in your life. I don't mean nosiness. I mean spiritually. And that's what we're here for. And I realize even for some of you that have been raised in Pentecost some other place, this is really different. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Is the way other people are doing it wrong? Not for them. If we did it like they're doing it, it'd be wrong for us. It'd be wrong for us. We have to do it the way the Lord is leading us to do it. That's what we've got to do. We've got to do it the way the Lord's leading us to do it. Now, uh, I'm, I'm doing my best to not get on Sunday night subject tonight. Okay? This is going to be different, but it's, there's more coming. All right? I'm, I'm just trying to help. I'm trying to help you understand where we are, where we're going, what's going on. I want you to understand that. Uh, as we continue in this progress, as the Baltimore group has their own Sunday night service, sometime uh, in the future, probably sooner than later, meaning some probably probably sometime this year rather than five years, better chance of it happening this year than five years from now. We will be dividing up on Sunday night here again. And uh, the groups that are in the Severn area will have service up there and and then most of Anne County and Eastern Shore will have service here on Sunday night. Well, what's the pastor going to do? Senior pastor? Well, he'll be preaching in one of those groups probably at least one Sunday night a month. Well, that's just diluting it all down. Yeah. It's, it's what it's called again. John the Baptist got to decrease so Jesus can increase. John the Baptist was a lone ranger. He had some disciples. You don't know their names. <laughs> and they were there to help, but they never ministered. 
Jesus from the beginning of his ministry, picked 12 and began to train them to multiply what he was doing. While he was still on the earth, he sent the 12 out. Then later on, he sent 70 more out. So his, his motive was to multiply ministry. Yeah, there were some that the guys prayed for, nothing happened, and they brought the same person to Jesus. He prayed for him, something happened. That was the backup. But we know biblically, there was a many, 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 many times that the people he sent out, they prayed and stuff happened. This is, this is the way the Lord wants to work this. Why? Because there's a lot of people out there lost, folks. There's a lot of people lost. And we don't, we certainly don't believe they all need to come to Antioch to be saved. We, we've never believed that. Don't believe it now. Won't ever believe it as long as I'm breathing. We don't believe that. But there are people that God has sent to Antioch. There's people that God is going to send to, send Antioch to. And it's our responsibility to not only reach them, but to take care of them. That's the will of God. That's the will of God. And, and going back to naming a few names, uh, Catholics have a very specific way of doing things. They have a very small cadre of holy spiritual people that do everything and everybody else shows up as the audience and goes along. That is not the way we do it in an apostolic church. If you have been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, you are a priest of God. You have a ministry. It may never be a pulpit ministry, but you, everybody here has a ministry. And everybody here is going to be responsible to God whether or not you find and fulfill that ministry. That means it's not sitting back with your thumb to give the old gladiator thumbs up live thumbs up thumbs down die when the preacher's preaching if you're sitting judging well it sure is bound in here oh you will hear that statement again someday if you sit there knowing this service is bound and didn't bother to even begin to try to pray or intercede you are going to be accountable if you are spiritually sensitive enough to know the service is bound and you sat there waiting for somebody else to pull a rabbit out of their hat to unbind it, and you didn't even bother to try to pray? You're accountable to God for that. (laughs) You understand that there is not a hierarchy in an apostolic church. Well, you're the bishop. No, I'm not. He's the bishop. He just lets that rest on me. I I think I need to say that again. I am not the bishop. He's the bishop. The office of a bishop is a work and ministry of God that he allows to be, to, to be placed upon a, an earthen vessel. But the operation of that ministry is God. Any authority in that ministry is God. Any work that ministry does is God. But the vessel, the vessel's not one bit better than your vessel. 
that vessel's not one bit more perfect or less human or less weak than your vessel. But what do we do? We have a tendency to mentally, emotionally, and spiritually merge the office and the, and the human, the treasure and the vessel. No! The Lord made the point that the vessel and the treasure are not the same for that exact purpose. You know what? I got an iPhone 6 Plus. And if they come out with a 7, by the grace of God, I'm going to get one of them. In fact, I told my wife the other day what I wanted for my birthday. The new iWatch is coming out sometime, and I will get one of them too. I told somebody today that it was inevitable that I would switch from PC to Mac. Some of you don't know why that's the case, do you? Because you obviously don't know my middle name. Chester M. Wright. My middle name is M-A-C-K, Mac. It's kind of contradictory for Mac to be using the PC, don't you? I mean, I just had to switch. I needed my world in order. So now Mac is on a Mac. And things are straight. Some of you don't know why... When did he start doing this stuff? When I got smarter. See, because some of you don't, you still haven't figured it out. When it was just pound, 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 you turned it off eventually. But I pounded, pounded, and then by the time you think I can't take it anymore, I just go off on some tangent and let you rest a second. Give you a chance to kind of recover a minute. And by the time you don't realize you're covered, pound, 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 pound. And we'll just tell a little story here or whatever. I learned that. I learned that. I'm still not real good at it, but I'm learning. I'm learning. Now I forgot what I was going to tell you about the Mac. And that's, that's not new either. That's, that's there. Yeah. That's, yeah. My poor wife, other things are happening too. You know, see, if she doesn't speak toward me, oh Lord, I wish we had a hundred dollars for every time I've said, I'm sorry. I didn't understand that in the last 10 years. Poor lady. Except now, uh, she's having to say that occasionally. That happens to the best of us. (laughs) The Lord is trying to do something, you see. And you don't have to understand all of it, be able to dot the I's. You don't have to write be able to write the book on it. But you gotta have some idea that there is a plan. There's a purpose. Now again, I'm trying to stay away from Sunday night's message. There's a plan. There's a purpose. God's in control. Amen. Now, 
There are some of you sitting here who are not involved in care ministry that need to be care group leaders. We're desperately in need of care group leaders. There's some of you not making an effort to grow and develop your ministry, and we're desperately in need of people that are ready to lead congregations and preaching points whenever the opportunity comes to start new ones. You see, there's only one real limitation to a harvest. And that's having enough committed, not committed by your definition, but committed by the Bible definition. Enough committed leaders to be willing to take care of and lead what God is producing. You know, you can sit here and say, well, there's nothing for me to do here. Really? Who's your pastor? Who's your pastor? Don't say the name out loud. I want you to get that in your mind. Who's your pastor? I want a name in your mind. Who's your pastor? Where do you go to church on Sunday morning? Who's your pastor? If you want to be involved in ministry, who would you tell first? If you want to find your place in the body, who do you go to first? You go to your pastor. You say, the Lord's dealing with my heart and I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of what God's doing. I don't want to just sit back and be a spectator. I want to be involved. I want you to know, put my name in the hat. Whatever you need to tell me, whatever you want me to do, I will do whatever I have to do to prepare myself, but I want to be a part. I don't want to be a spectator. You go tell your pastor that. And depending on what the situation is, what the needs are, that may be as far as it goes because he may begin to do whatever's necessary to prepare you for leadership in that ministry. Or in some cases, he may pass it up in line and say, Brother so-and-so and so-and-so is, is feeling to do this, especially if you're feeling to get a, li- a ministerial license. That's going to be passed up the line. And uh, the senior pastor and the executive council and, and, and uh, the staff has put together a, an Antioch ministerial license program that I have certainly approved of, but I'm, I'm not involved with it. If you want an Antioch ministerial license, there's, you, you talk to your pastor, and your pastor knows who you're supposed to talk to next, and that gets passed up the line, and there's things that are done to help you to begin to prepare for that. Currently, except in extenuating circumstances, we will not be taking anybody to the Maryland, D.C. District Board to get UPCI license until they first get an Antioch license. You say, well, I'm wasting my time. No, because a lot of the reading uh, that's required, all of the re- reading required for a, a, a UPCI local license is a part of the Antioch's ministerial license program. So when you read and prepare yourself for the Antioch ministerial license, you will have done all the reading necessary to eventually get your UPCI local license. Somebody said, oh, yeah, oh. That's not an accident. We didn't just one day look and go, Oh, look, look, how did it, it's, it's a miracle. The books for local license are included in our, 
Oh, wow. That wasn't the way it came about. Nope. That was, it didn't happen like that. It was an accident. It wasn't a miracle. It was God's direction, but it was on purpose. It was on purpose. And while it may not look it to you sometimes, there's a whole lot of stuff behind the scenes being done on purpose. Why? Well, for you survivors of the past regime, you know how that worked. The old man would pray. He'd get a word from God. He'd get up in the pulpit and change everything in a heartbeat. Nobody knew what was, nobody knew what was coming. It's just, we got a word. We've been going this direction. Now we're going to go this direction. <laughs> and the whole congregation got whiplash trying to change direction. Well, that's why you have a pastor as the senior pastor now. Because that's not the way a pastor operates. Because the pastor, a pastoral gifting is far more concerned with the needs of the sheep and how to do changes than whatever it was I was. Uh, Paul told Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. I did the work of a pastor. And I say that, and I look at people, and they say, oh, you didn't love us. What is love? You think the only ministry that can love you is a pastoral ministry? Really? If I don't have a pastoral ministry, I can't love the saints of this church? Kidding me, right? It's just a different approach. Pastoral ministry, by design, is much more attuned to the day-to-day. Whatever this ministry is that I have, it's much more attuned to the future, the long-term preparation plan, vision. We're a team. It's the way it's supposed to be. So therefore, just because you're not getting whiplash, doesn't mean there's not a lot of work going on. In planning and preparation and in direction. But, you know, sometimes faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And sometimes it takes just a little bit of faith. Give leadership just a little bit of credit. There's nobody in this church, in any level of leadership in this church, that is willing to settle for just having good church. Nobody. Do we want to have good church? Well, duh. You think we're going to come together and we don't want to have good church? You think we're going to come together and not have a, not want to have a move of, of God? Well, of course we are. But that doesn't mean when we're done and we leave service and we brush our hands and go, well, I'm done till next service. Are you kidding me? Kidding, right? No, that's not the way it is. It's not the way it is. Hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of time spent in planning and preparation and trying to find the mind of God and tweaking stuff and trying to make it work better and and trying to get direction from the Lord on exactly how to present it to you and 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 so that it will work and the Lord will be pleased with what not only what we're doing but how we're doing it. In his direction, his will. 
Praise God. I've talked enough about that. I'm, I want to go now to my main subject. And <laughs> I didn't intend that to be funny, but it's okay if you're laughing. That's all right. Okay. <laughs> the question is, shepherds, where are your sheep? Uh, this isn't going to take a long time, from relatively speaking. <laughs> okay. The responsibility of being a biblical shepherd over God's flock is the most significant responsibility any human being will ever be entrusted with. Every place in the body is important. Every part of the body is important. Every ministry that's a part of the body is important. But the book says, smite the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. It didn't say smite the foot and the sheep will scatter. Smite the hand and the sheep will scatter. Punch the body in the gut and the sheep will scatter. It said smite the shepherd, the head, the sheep will scatter. It's tremendous responsibility. But the synonym of responsibility is accountability. And my dear brothers and sisters in leadership in this church who have the responsibility to care for, lead, oversee God's flock. Accountability is a big deal. And you cannot be accountable if you don't count. What does that mean? That means that I should be able to go to any leader in this church tomorrow and say, who was missing last night from your group? Oh, that's hard. Not for a shepherd. Not for a shepherd. Now, I'd agree as, the, as, the lar- as your ministry grows larger, you may need some help to do that. Why is that important? Well, the, uh, the Audi lease just went up. It goes back tomorrow, and uh, my wife wanted something smaller, so we got a, one of those little... Uh, Cadillac XTSs. The red rocket has returned. That Audi had a V8. This has got a V6. It's just an old V6. Twin turbos, 410 horsepower. Old V6. Well, it's, you know how I'm with gadgets. So this has, it doesn't have dials and gauges. It has a screen. And you can choose four different setups of gauges and information. Woo! You can have one different one every hour. You can just do a different one every day. You know, you don't have to have to get bored with it. Anyway, those gauges are important. They're really important. Gas gauge is really important. Anybody ever figure out how important a gas gauge is? Gas gauge is really important. Speedometer is important. Oh, everyone pray for the senior pastor that he would learn how important the senior, the, the speedometer is. 
and uh, that's as far as I'll go with that. <clears throat> Let's just pray that he doesn't meet another one of Maryland's finest anytime soon, or we'll have to hire him a chauffeur. <laughs> He'll listen to this. I'm telling on him. Anyway, <laughs> those gate those gauges are really important. You you can ignore the speedometer and drive your car. You can. You can ignore the gas gauge and drive your car. You can ignore the oil gauge and drive your car. You can ignore the gauges altogether and drive your car. And it will be anywhere from a okay experience to an unpleasant experience to a disastrous experience depending on the circumstance and what you're ignoring in your gauges. The Lord gave us gauges. Shepherds, the Lord gave us gauges. Those two gauges are Faithfulness to church and faithfulness in tithe. And any sheep that's not doing those two is in serious trouble of not being around very long. They're gauges. That's what they are. Now, since we have grown bigger, it's been a little more difficult to make sure that the leaders that needed to know knew who know who is faithful with their tithe, not the amount, but that they're paying their tithes. Okay, we're working on that. We're, we're trying to get that worked out. Because every leader responsible for people needs to know. But the first thing people do is start missing church. And initially, the reasons are usually pretty good, but... It is so easy to get used to skipping church. And then it gets easier to skip church. And then it's not long before you're missing more church than you're attending. And a shepherd doesn't wait till that point before they say, Hey, is everything going okay? Anything we need to talk about? And you may sit there and say, well, nobody's doing me that way. What do you think I'm preaching for? <laughs> Hello? <laughs> I'm not sitting up here doing this. Just I, I'm not an entertainer. So I'm not trying to stand here trying to entertain you. What do you think I'm doing this for? The definition of a good shepherd, if you are accountable for sheep, is you need to know where their sheep are. I'm not talking about running their lives. I'm not talking about being overbearing. But the book says the shepherds are going to give account to God in heaven for the sheep. And we need to pray that they're able to give a good report for us rather than another report. You mean whether or not I come to church is going to save me? No, but the reason you're missing church is going to determine whether or not you're saved. And I, let me say that one more time. It's not coming to church or not coming to church. It's going to determine your salvation. It's what's in your heart. It's determining whether or not you come to church. It's going to determine your salvation. Because it's, you see, it's only a symptom. You start out missing church. But that's the gauge. You drive, you know, and 
You look down the gauge, you see, oh, I still got half tank, okay. Or you look down and see, okay, speed limit is 55, I'm doing 64, no problem. If that offends you, I'm sorry. Now, if I said I was doing 74, okay, maybe we can talk about that, but I don't do that. So, <laughs> it's a gauge. It's an indicator. I, I hate to disillusion you, but there's no human being alive that's sensitive to everything. And God doesn't tell us everything. Remember when, it, was it Elijah that prayed for the Shulamite woman and she had a son and he died? And the woman comes to see Elijah and he says, is everything okay with you? Yeah, she said, everything's okay. Oh, so you show up out here in the field for no reason. Your husband, yeah. He went down through the list, including the son. Everybody okay? Yeah. Everybody's okay. The boy was dead. Yeah, everything's okay. You know what she was doing? If you're so spiritual, why doesn't God tell you my kid's dead? What's the matter? You don't have a mouth? I I don't mean to be offensive here, and I realize this is the Thursday night crowd. This is the group that you can count on, friend. I mean, this is the group you can count on. But I'm going to say this to you. If you're sick and nobody called, nobody checked on you, my question to you is, How did you let us know you were sick? Oh, well, God was supposed to tell us you were sick. Let me tell you something. If God tells me you're sick, you're not going to be. No. I mean, if it's all that supernatural, if it's going to be supernatural enough he's going to tell me you're sick, he's going to tell me what to say about it, what to do about it. But you, you, you know, the Bible says, if any sick among you, let them call. And the Lord didn't even know anything about telephones. Let them call. <laughs> is it, is the word in the book or not? I, I, I rest my case. It's in the book. Is any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church. You don't say, you know, if those elders were really praying for me and were spiritual, they'd know I was sick and come see me. Do you have any people who have backslidden because they got offended because nobody called or checked on them when they were sick? You know what I'm saying to you about that? All you're doing is looking for an excuse to blame your leaving on somebody else. Because if it was really important to you that somebody would come see you, you would obey the Bible and call and say, I'm sick. Could you send somebody by? Oh, praise God. Now, if you call and we fail to get there or get somebody by to see you, it's all on us. And, and you know what? I'm more than willing to let, to tell you we let you down. I'm sorry. But if, if you don't let anybody know you're sick, I know this is a minor thing, but I'm, I'm talking about a principle here. 
God doesn't tell the man of God everything. Aren't you glad? Really, aren't you glad that God doesn't tell the man of God everything? Seriously, I'm serious. Aren't you glad that God doesn't tell the man of God everything? Me too. I'm glad. I know some of you, you hear so-and-so's coming to preach. Well, I'm not going that weekend. No. Oh, so you think if you're not here, God can't speak to him. It'd serve you right if it was a knock on your door. And he walked in your living room and read your, your mail. Well, that would, that would get you, that, that, that'd prove the point, wouldn't it? Shepherds, where are your sheep? Whatever you've got to do to come out up with a methodology so you can know in a reasonably short amount of time whether your people were in your Sunday morning ministry or were in Sunday night service or Thursday night, it is not the senior pastor's responsibility to keep track of your people in Sunday night or Thursday night service. Now, if we have to, we'll ask Brother Stewart to make sure that at some point in the service there is a good close-up of the whole congregation, and you know that on our sites where you watch, you can pause it, and you get a section, you pause it, and you look and see if you people are there or whatever. You say, well, really? I, I, it doesn't matter to me how you get it done. It is your responsibility to know where your sheep are. If they're not here and you don't know, that means it doesn't matter to you whether or not they come. And if I only think they need to hear me preach... Meaning if I was in your place. If, if, if I'm a Sunday morning minister and I only think they need to hear me preach and it's really not important for them to come Sunday night or Thursday night, we got, we got problems. We, we have a lot of problems and it has a whole lot more to do than whether or not you're counting properly or being accountable. Because it is It is the responsibility of the pastor, since you are their pastor on Sunday morning, to help your people understand the importance of participating with the entire body. That's right. Because the Bible says, and he, this is, put it on the screen, would you? Ephesians 4.11. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Next verse. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Verses, nope, verses 11 and 12 in the Amplified, please. Verse 11 in the Amplified. Thank you. And his gifts were varied. He himself appointed and gave men to us. The gifting wasn't given to the man. The man with the gifting was given to the church. Some to be apostles, special messengers, and some prophets, inspired preachers and expounders. Some evangelists, preachers of the gospel, traveling missionaries. 
some pastors, shepherds of his flock, and some, and teachers. His intention was the perfecting and the full equipping of the saints, his consecrated people, that they should do the work of ministering toward building up Christ's body, the church. The church has been given a gift, the fivefold ministry. One voice never has been and never will be enough to fully equip a single individual saint. And you're a part of a church where that you have a tremendous opportunity because you hear a varied, constantly varying number of voices. Well, I don't know if I like that. Well, then you, you don't like Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Because Ephesians 4, 11, 12 says that it was God's plan for you to hear a variation of voices and giftings so that you could be well-rounded, fully equipped. And that was, that's what this is all about. That's what it's all about is to fully equip. Every one of our leaders has a special gifting, their own giftings, their, their own unique personalities and talents and giftings from God. And each one of them is uniquely created to do their place in God's body given to the body for the benefit of the body. That's why if you are a pastor, a Sunday morning minister, it is your responsibility to help your people know that so they can understand the importance of attending other services. What if those services aren't swinging from the chandeliers? So all of the services you lead, people swing from the chandeliers. So all the services you preach in, I mean, it's the greatest move of God since Pentecost. It's a little bit hypocritical. It's a little bit hypocritical to say, well, I don't want to bring my, get my people to come to Sunday night because sometimes it seems a little flat. Something flat. It's not the church service. Because Sunday morning is ministry to the crowd. Sunday night is ministry to the church. Thursday night is ministry to the leaders and those that want to be in leadership, that want to be a part. No two of those are the the same. No two of those have the same purpose. Yeah, but some of the stuff I've been hearing lately, I I know that already. Oh, really? So Peter didn't have a clue what he was talking about when he said, I'm going to stir up your pure mind by way of remembrance. So, you've heard it once, you don't ever need to hear it again. Now, hear me right now, okay? Alright? The man of God preached Sunday night. He had a word from God. I received it. I sat there and prayed until Jesus and I dealt with that message and its impact on my life. Me. I received the word. I let the word talk to my heart. The Lord and I talked about the word and the light it shined in various areas of my life. Me, sitting right there. And I didn't leave here till the Lord and I had concluded our business. And when I got up the next morning, things were different in some areas. Because the man of God had a word. Oh, praise God. Let's do this. Second Corinthians. 
I, I'll be done by nine tomorrow night, for, I'm sure. <laughs> I couldn't pass that up. You were just, you were just sheep led to the slaughter on that one. I'm sorry. Oh, that's a wrong analogy in this message. Isn't it? Okay. First Corinthians 14 verse six. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 6. <laughs> okay, and brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, oh, that's not it. Let's go back to 4. 1 Corinthians 14, 4. Next verse. Next verse. Yeah, no, that was it. Go back, go back. 5, that's it. No, that's not it. <laughs> uh, six. Six. Yeah, oh, that was it. I, duh. I didn't read the whole verse. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? Except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying. Or by doctrine. Notice please. This isn't talking about giftings. One man. Regardless of his giftings. Can have four different flows of anointing. On any particular night. So some the same preacher. Can come to the pulpit one night. And the spirit of the Lord flows through him. In a flow of revelation. That same preacher can, can come the next service. And the Lord will speak through him by knowledge. The next service he comes and prophesying will take place through the same man. And the next time teaching or doctrine will be there. Same man, same gifting, same person. You, you, can't, you, 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 don't, you don't come and judge a service by emotion. Well, it's boring. Oh, what you're meaning is we're not entertaining you sufficiently. Because what you're really not doing is you're wanting to come and get. You're not wanting to come and give and participate. Again, this is not the Sunday morning crowd. This isn't the Sunday night crowd. This is the committed group. This is the people that are committed and if you're coming to church to get, that's the only reason you're coming. Your issues are far more than the ones you think it is. I, I would recommend you go back, was that last Sunday? I think it was the Sunday before when the Sunday morning pastor here preached a message about leprosy. He preached some stuff I'd never heard in my life. He got talking about the biblical conditions for leprosy being cleansed and he said biblically if your leprosy is clean there's two things necessary for you to be clean and declared clean from leprosy there has to be shed blood and running water and i got to th I, I i was sitting there dumbly listening oh, okay where's he gonna go with this because there are people that believe you're not actually baptized if you're baptized in a tank because it's not running water 
Really, honestly. There are people that believe that. No, sir, they're not going to be baptized in a baptismal tank. Okay, let's go down to the river tonight. I baptized one, one March 31st night. I baptized 30, no, 20, it was 25, 26 people in the Severn River at night after Sunday night service. This group showed up. I don't know who they were. They didn't, they never came back, but they all wanted to be baptized in Jesus name. They wanted to be baptized at night. They did not want to be baptized in a horse trough. They wanted to be baptized in a river. And I didn't make an issue of it. And I went out there and got in the water with them. Well, they weren't in the water very long, but I was. And the wind was blowing. And, and I would have them face the, 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 the beach. And so I baptized them into the waves. Guess where, guess where, guess where the water went? All over me. Because I baptized them and that splashed waves all over me. By the time I got to number 25, I had no feeling from the neck down. This rather robust lady was number, was the, she was the last one. She came, I had my hand on her back, I know it was there because I saw it. I, ha- I took her, her wrist with my other hand, I know it was there because I watched my hand grab it, I didn't feel a thing. And I baptized her into that wave, and when I pulled my hands up, there was no lady. That's a truth before God. And in a moment of time, I saw the headlines. Preacher drowns lady in the river at night. About five, seven, five to seven seconds, seconds later. That's a long time when you're standing there. She popped up about 15 feet from me. She didn't even realize there's anything wrong. Praise God. That's really a true story. They had to carry me to the car. My wife had to drive home. She turned the heater on. I was practically home before I had any feeling in my body. But anyway, there's some folks that believe you have to be baptized in running water. That was my biggest bear tale about running water. Uh, so I wonder where he was going with that. Well, he talked about, he identified that with living water. And he made this statement, and you need to hear this message. This was This will help you. He said, the blood covers your sins because of repentance. But the flowing water, the living water, speaks of a renewed relationship. And if you only ever repent and you don't renew the flow, no change is permanent. So the Holy Ghost flows in whatever means is necessary in a service to meet the needs that he's trying to take care of then. I remember years ago, Brother Billy Cole had been coming. Some of you don't know who that is. Just one of the greatest apostles to ever live, including in the last uh, 100 years. Uh, he came here several. In fact, I was going through some old pictures the other day and found a picture of him and my wife and David on the platform over on Windsor Avenue when he was, he had preached for us here. And he, he'd, he'd come preach for us several times. Well, he was having a special service over in Alexandria, Virginia, and I went over there. And he was preaching about burden. 
And I'm sitting on the front row. And I'm preaching about burden. I'm preaching. He's preaching away, man. He talked about the burden of the head, not knowing that people are lost. And, and, the, and the burden of the hands, being willing to do something about them being lost. And then the burden of the feet, going and doing something about them being lost. And people are just crying all over the place. And I'm sitting there, I'm not feeling anything, and there's not one tear coming down my face. And I'm going, oh God, somewhere between the time I left home and here, I backslidden. I don't feel anything. And I'm sitting there all confused. And I hear this voice in my ear about ten minutes later. Brother Cole said, the reason you're not feeling anything is because this message didn't apply to you. You're already living everything I preached. Why should you be feeling bad when you're doing what I'm preaching? I got good right away. I went, the, the apostle of God says, I'm okay. I take that. Praise God. I'm not back, I'm not only not backslid. He says, I'm doing good. I wonder if sometimes when you think there's nothing happening in the service, that service isn't specifically about you. And I wonder if in that period of time, rather than sitting there wondering what is going on in this service and what is this message all about, I wonder if you can't make the transition and go, wait a minute, okay, all right, Lord, if you're talking to me, fine, I'm willing to hear. But if you're not talking to me, let me pray that the Word of God will have free course and that there would be utterance rather than sitting there going, boy, that he is really blowing it tonight. This message isn't doing anything for me. And if you listen to the message, I'd be shocked at some of the stuff I've watched some of you sit on. I'd be really disappointed if it was preached to you. So what are you supposed to do when you come to a service? And the message isn't preached. It's like this one. I've heard this one lately. Oh, buddy, I'm covered A to Z tonight. I've heard this one lately. Well, you know, Sunday morning is really for the sinner, so I don't really need to go every Sunday morning. Oh, no. It is for sinners, and you need to be there. Because obviously, obviously, you're not interested in any anybody else getting saved like you got saved. So instead of going on Sunday morning so you can participate in the ministry, you stay home because you're already saved. Uh, eh, wrong answer. Not true. Shepherds, where are you sheep? Where are you sheep? Brother J.T. Pugh said to me many, many years ago, and he was, he was the man that actually was officiated in the service in which I was ordained as a minister in 1971. Great, great man of God. He was the general home missions director when we became a Christmas for Christ home missions church sponsored by the United Pentecostal Church when we were here. Great man of God had a great impact on my life. He said to me one day, and I've heard him say it publicly also, but he said it privately to me, he said, Brother Wright, after many years, I came to the conclusion people have a right to go to hell if they want to. 
I'm not saying, brethren or sisters, those of you that are involved in overseeing and administering to people, that you're responsible for saving them. There's only one Savior. But you are responsible for doing everything you can to help that person. And if you're only willing to do that from behind the pulpit, you just disqualified yourself. And part of the way of proving that you're not a pulpiteer, but you're a pastor or a shepherd, that's what the word really is in the Greek, you know where your sheep are. Father, I thank you for speaking to us tonight. I thank you for helping us. I thank you for clarifying to us. In Jesus' name, I bind every spirit of confusion that wars against the hearts and the minds of the people of this church to bring division and dissatisfaction with what you're trying to do, God. We trust you, Lord. We trust you. We trust you. We trust you, Father. I commit this church into your hands. I commit every leader in your hands. I commit myself into your hands. I commit the promises to you. We cannot produce them. We cannot do it ourselves. You're the only one that can do this. But by your grace, mercy, and peace, help us to walk in your spirit, doing your will, so that whatever place you have for us in your kingdom, Father, we can be a part of the fulfillment of your promises, both to this church and to the world. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for your patience and your good humor. Uh, Thank you for receiving this without offense. It was not meant in any way to offend. God bless you.